Welcome back, folks. This is the Exile Theologian. It's been a little while, uh, just a few weeks, but I have kind of a therapeutic one for you in this episode. It's about the book of Haggai, and uh, it was actually really good for me to do it. Very healing, very therapeutic. I never realized the book would be that impactful for me. Not sure if you've even ever thought about the book of Haggai. It's a really obscure book uh, right at the end of the Old Testament. But apparently there's some nuggets to pull out of there. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I did. I liked writing it. I liked working on it. Been working on it for several weeks, probably a month and a half or so. Not sure. Maybe a month. But it's been really good. It's been really fun. And I've just really tried to approach this one slowly. These are the the solo ones are the ones I really like to do um, patiently and methodically. I like to take my time on them, but they they feel very good. the The interviews are always fun, but um, I, I do like doing the solo episodes. So, hope you enjoy this one. This is the Book of Haggai. Is this the interlude? That's the title. All right. Hope you enjoy, folks. You're listening to The Exiled Theologian, a podcast that explores where faith, mystery, and the Bible intersect in Jesus. Sometimes, orthodox questions require unorthodox answers. My name is Josh Franklin. The idea that God is with me or present in my space and circumstances is an interesting one, because what does that mean exactly? How do you know if God is or isn't here? This is an idea that I've really struggled with for much of my life. It's it's led to both dark and courageous moments for me. Have you ever believed God is with you? Or or worse, that God isn't with you? That's That's a lonely place. Reality often does it match what we believe as people of faith. So how do we reconcile that? Sometimes our circumstances can seem to indicate that there's there's no way the divine cares and has in fact vacated the situation. God is literally gone and we're left with a stormy sea tossing us around like a helpless ship subject to nature's fury, orphaned to the wind and rain and thunder and lightning and relentless waves, essentially left to interpret the storm as evidence that we've lost favor with God or worse, that he doesn't exist. But is that true? Is that is that how it works? Or are we doing the same thing the ancients did, which was to interpret everything, literally everything, as a zero-sum spiritual matter? So in other words, if things are good, the divine must be with us. If things are bad, the divine must be angry and is therefore no longer with us. Could it be possible that these types of moments in life are interludes? You know? You know what an interlude is? I love musical interludes. They always tend to be better than the actual song, in my opinion. No words and an innovative melody. To me, it seems that when you remove the words from a song, the music has to innovate to keep my attention. It's it's interesting. 
don't get me wrong though i love words i i write poetry now and i constantly find myself dissecting lyrics in search of hidden meanings i'm going back to the 90s grunge and trying to figure out what they were really saying because i really wasn't paying attention at the time (laughs) i'm also sitting here podcasting with only words so i don't have anything against words but interludes tend to force me to be alone with my thoughts I actually like the definition of an interlude as well. It's it's an intervening or interruptive period of time, I guess, depending on, on how you look at it. In music, I like it. In life, not so much. It always feels interruptive. It's the in-between space, which is extremely uncomfortable. What do you do with the interlude? Usually it, it means something has ended and now we're left trying to figure out why that thing has ended as we anxiously wait for the next thing or what could be next. This, this is where I am, folks. (laughs) Solidly, solidly in the middle of an interlude with friendships, with church, uh, but it could also be happening with your career, relationships, health, etc. You know, just a number of things. The interlude can permeate everything. Did you know that there's actually a book in the Old Testament that is written in an attempt to make sense of an intervening period of time. It's the book of Haggai. It's a short little book with only two chapters. It's kind of at the it's at the end of the Old Testament. Haggai was a prophet during a transitional time for the Jewish people, or in other words, an interlude. The book of Haggai was written sometime around 520 BCE. The setting of the book is in the 6th century BCE, among the returned exiles from the Babylonian captivity. Rewind a bit further back, and we know that Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern and southern. Around 722 BCE, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. This left the state of Judah to the south. The famed promised land was no longer in Israel's possession, and this was a traumatic blow to the people. The contextual psyche of the audience of this book, which I think is important to note and to observe, I would say can be summed up with the following questions. Where is God and who are we now? Because this is a long span of time. These are people that were exiled and almost without identity in a sense. And I think I ask these questions daily. Where is God and who am I now? (laughs) So keep going. Then in 586 BCE, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar exiled a portion of the southern kingdom after destroying Jerusalem and burning their temple to the ground. So the trauma continued. Pete Enns wrote that exile is the trauma of the Old Testament. And I would add that exile is the trauma of ancient life. And perhaps exile is just trauma. Have you ever been exiled from your friend group or church or society? you know, for holding a certain perspective or political opinion or theological view. (laughs) It's painful and isolating. The interlude can be lonely. It pushes on those very existential questions. Where is God and who am I? Back to the Israelites and what they could have been feeling as a people. To be exiled is to be abandoned and The central symbol of their religion was burnt to a crisp. The temple was where God tabernacled among the people so that 
was a big deal. This feels really close to home. When something anchoring in our life that is symbolic of how good life or God is all of a sudden is burnt away, it feels jolting and representative of a monumental shift in our circumstances. It's a big deal, at least for me. I think for many people, though, but I I would say for sure, for me, it's a big deal. And And I find myself incessantly attempting to interpret why it's happening. Did I do something wrong? Does the divine care? Is God even with me? This is an era of uncertainty for the Israelites, to say the least. Can you relate? I can. I'm asking all of those questions, and I'm actually having all of those feelings, too. So in comes Haggai. When the people initially returned to Judah, they began rebuilding the temple, but work on it eventually stopped. Also, not everyone came back. Some stayed behind in Babylon. They had settled. They'd made a new life. They had crafted a new identity for themselves, probably religiously and spiritually. They they had moved on, would be my guess. But, I, you know, some of them may have retained their faith and so on and so forth. But it is interesting that they all didn't return. Um, but the rebuilding of the temple had, had stopped when they did come, for those that did uh, come back. So they lost interest. And can you blame them? Where has God been all of these years anyways? Was probably a question they were asking. At the time of this book, temple construction sat dormant for roughly 15 years. Then here comes Haggai. He's referred to as one of the minor prophets, not really notable for his writing or his writing style or his prophetic style. Also, he's he's one of the last few prophets in Israel. What makes him interesting to me is his singular focus on urging the people to finish rebuilding the temple. And actually, I think that makes him interesting to a lot of People too, like academic scholars, theologians, so on and so forth. He was literally obsessed with rebuilding the temple. You'll hear him talk about it throughout the book. To Haggai, the temple symbolized everything. National power, prosperity, and good standing with the Creator. It sits unfinished. And, you know, there must be a reason they're not prospering once again as a nation. In chapter 1, starting in verse 2 He says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own houses. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, on all 
their labors. Here, I think, is that zero-sum spiritual thinking that I was talking about. To Haggai, their lives lay in ruins because their temple lay in ruins. But is that true? And I wonder if that makes you squirm a little bit, just the fact that I would ask the question. But I want you to know it's okay to ask the question. We have permission to ask the question. We have permission to unpack Haggai's perspective here and his approach and maybe his psyche a little bit. Does God really work this way? Now, we would say, I think now, this is a dangerous way to interpret one's circumstances. You know, things are going bad means God must be upset with me. I think now it's a little more acceptable to say that's kind of ridiculous to make that assertion or that connection because it can literally drive you crazy. But in the ancient world, life was viewed in binary ways with binary thinking across the board, including the Israelites. If we're being good, then the gods will be good to us. If we're being bad, then the gods will be bad to us. I think the Hebrews, you know, had similar perspectives. You can see you can see those themes and those threads um underpinning all of the Old Testament, much of it. But you can you can see an evolution from it as the Old Testament goes on and on. But I think Haggai is holding some of these perspectives, I think. Things are bad, we must be doing bad, so God's mad. That sort of thing. I would argue that this is certainly creeping into his thinking in a significant way, for sure. But did he actually hear from God? I think so. I do. I really do. And what is the deeper theme then that Haggai is astutely touching on here? This is where I think he heard from the divine. He does ask them to consider their ways as they had retreated into building up their own homes. Perhaps there was absolutely no concern among them for the greater collective, for their neighbor, for their community. You know, they were kind of surviving in a sense. They were surviving and trying to reanimate their lives apart from each other and apart from some greater religious purpose. And again, I can't blame them for that. You know, it's been a long time in exile. They've been abandoned for maybe a generation or so, you know. It's like Haggai is attempting to point out how they had become a little too individualized. And so I, I can I can jive with that, actually. I think that's a nice call by him. It makes sense that this would be so, that they would be functioning this individualized, because they had essentially lost their sense of purpose and identity as a people. So what do you do when you feel like purpose and mission has abandoned your life? I mean, I, I hunker down. You know, you, you try to make sense of what is happening and attempt to make the best of it. And I think that's exactly what they were doing. The interlude doesn't feel like a temporary space for them. So they're settling in. But is that the best place to settle into? I don't really want to settle into the interlude. And actually, I don't think Haggai does either. And this is where I think He's profound in attempting to call them out of this, you know, this middle space, this in-between space, this interlude, so to speak. Haggai goes on to say this, I am with you, declares the Lord. And something happens after this. It apparently was a powerful idea for them, a simple declaration. The author says the spirit of the leaders and the remnant of the people were stirred up. They were moved 
by this new proposition. They actually believed it. It felt new again to them, I think. Do you find it interesting that Haggai makes it a point to declare that God said he is with them? The word stir in Hebrew means to awaken. It seems this unseen reality stirred them into moving towards a new reality. It's as if they woke up. Somehow Haggai snapped them out of it, out of their stupor, to see that there still can be something new for them. And I think that's a very important thing to notice and observe and to realize, that perhaps they had lost hope that there was ever going to be anything new for them in any greater sense. But Haggai reawakens this idea in them. I think we can distill Haggai's proclamations into a simple invitation. I do. I believe, or I I think he believed, God was calling them into a new thing, pushing them to innovate. Now, Haggai thought a new temple represented that new thing, but maybe even he kind of missed the point there. Again, I think it's okay to say that. The temple was right in front of them. They were the temples. We are the temples. God was going to be with us with or without a physical space. If they in fact believed that the divine was with them, they could leave their bunkers to join up and build something new together. So the new symbol of God's affection for them was not the temple. At least I don't think it was, but maybe their maybe it was maybe it was their collective effort and affection for each other as a people. It was a new effort, a new thing, a new idea. What would you do? If you believed the divine was with you. I like that question. I ask that to myself sometimes as well. What what would I do if I really believed that God was with me in this moment, in this decision, in this circumstance? Many times I, I doubt that he is. Sometimes I do believe that he is. And it does kind of change the way I view it and how I approach it and move through it. But how would that change your perspective on the interlude? Hmm. How would that change how you may respond to the interlude? They were awakened to see the middle space of the interlude as merely transitory. They believed something new was on the other side, and and they were willing to move towards it. Based on that <laughs> proclamation from Haggai, something stirred them up. At some point, I think we have to move. We have to take action, innovate, reignite hope, reclaim our faith. Rebuilding the temple was a metaphor for rebuilding their vision of what could be possible. Perhaps God wasn't happy with the temple lying in ruins because he wasn't happy with their lives lying in ruins. I don't believe the Creator takes pleasure in our pain, I'm sorry, I, I'm never going to believe that or agree with that or think that's even a slight possibility. I think the last thing the divine wants us to feel is abandoned or exiled or hopelessly lost in the middle space of the interlude. And Jesus is the great evidence of this for me. He is the grand clarification. I'm sure you could probably point to many Old Testament examples where you would say, Josh, look, see, uh, the divine does want them to be exiled or he is, he's punishing them or so on and so forth. And I would love to have those chats with you because I'll push back on every single one of them. 
but that's okay. You know, we don't have to believe the same exact things about the Bible. But I just have decided that I, I, I don't, I just don't believe God is happy with our pain. So maybe old Haggai was trying to keep their circumstances from determining their actions. He didn't want the facts of life to fuel their faith, so he gave them a new fact. He didn't want their situation to shape their identity. So he reminded them of a long-forgotten idea that God was still with them, or in other words, that God loved them. And who listening needs to know that? I mean, I constantly need to hear those two things, and they always feel like long-forgotten ideas for me as well. Is God still with me? Does God still love me? You know, does the divine still favor me, care about me, know me? Am I known? These are big questions. These are big things that I think human beings are always wondering and need some sort of assurances of. So it's interesting that Haggai says this to them. You know, God is with you. He cheers them on. He goes on to say this. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. What is it that they could possibly fear? Well, there was likely an unhealthy view of the divine, and probably, you know, they they might have had an unhealthy fear of God, I'm sure. Remember, the zero-sum spiritual thinking was was most likely prevalent among them. Maybe they didn't want to be viewed as being on the wrong team either. How many of us can uh, relate with that one? In that moment, there was uh, probably some political opposition to rebuilding the temple. Nobody wants to be exiled politically. Again, these things speak to our modern times. The divine had been absent for so long that perhaps you know, they were afraid it was too large of a project without assistance from above somehow. In other words, their ability to think and see big had been severely limited and wounded. They were traumatized by the exile. And that trauma impacts everything. The way we view the world, our ability to dream, our our capacity to hope for new things for ourselves, for our friends, it's traumatizing. So they couldn't dream anymore. Sometimes I think, though, we need to dream our way out of the interlude. Haggai, I think he was a dreamer. The temple laid in ruins, but it didn't mean they were ruined. By reminding them that the actual spirit of the divine was in their midst. Side note, this was kind of a spiritually innovative thing for him to say in that time. The divine was previously housed in the temple. But Haggai essentially gave them permission to dream again. Prophets are dreamers. They can see new worlds. And they call people into those new worlds. Interludes are not always bad, but they're not meant to be permanent, at least in my opinion. We need to dream our way out of them. So something I like to do is rewrite verses. <laughs> so it's a, I've, I mean, I think it's okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure God's cool with it. Uh, this is a book that wasn't written to me. So doing this helps me connect with what it's saying in, a, in kind of a, 
it, it, for me, it's a, it's just a personal way I can approach scripture. I need to relate to what I'm reading. So uh, I need to find myself in the story. So here's what I think Haggai would say to us today. Be strong, all you people of the city, declares the divine. Create, innovate, dream, write, sing, start businesses, love your neighbor, for I am with you, declares the creator, according to the promise I made with you in Jesus. My spirit remains in your midst. Don't be afraid. Okay, folks, that felt good. That one felt good. I hope it speaks to you. I hope you know God is with you that God loves you, and don't get stuck in the interlude. It's only temporary. We can move through it. Innovate, take action, create, write, sing, draw, paint, start things, whatever you need to do. Grace and peace to you. May the Holy Spirit be with you. And remember, always think great. Thank you for listening to the Exile of Your Project Podcast.